DevPro Journal is an online publication built to assist B2B software developers in growing profitable, sustainable, and fulfilling businesses. Today's podcast is sponsored by DataCap Systems and Zebra Technologies. Hi, and welcome to the DevPro Journal podcast. I'm your host, Jay McCall, co-founder of DevPro Journal. Getting your software solution to market quickly creates a clear competitive advantage, but in the process, it's easy to overlook vital security steps that can be costly to address later on, not to mention if a cyber criminal finds the vulnerability before you do. In today's podcast, I'll be talking with Sanan Aaron, one of the founders of FIDE, a zero-trust network-accessed innovator that was acquired by Barracuda. Sanan is now a VP of Trust Security at Barracuda, and he has some timely tips for software developers to ensure their products are developed with security best practices. Hello, Sanan. Welcome to the DevPro Journal podcast. Hi, Jay. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. Hey, I'm wondering, you know, before we jump into these questions that, um, you know, I'm excited to uh, talk about. I know, you know, security is a very hot topic uh, with our audience. Um, I'd like to, you know, give our... Uh, listeners a little better idea who you are. So tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your role with uh, Barracuda. Yep, most certainly. So I've been in cybersecurity uh, for more than 20 years at this point. I actually started in the late 90s almost as a hobbyist, right? Back then, information security is a, is a young, fledgling you know, field, right? You might have taken some firewall or some cryptography lessons in a, in a computer science track, but it wasn't the big cybersecurity industry that it is today, right? Uh, so I started very early on. Um, I spent a lot of time in EPSEC and, and you know, finding and, and fixing vulnerabilities uh, at the start of my career. Then I transitioned into more the endpoint security, network security uh, side of the equation, defending, you know, endpoint platforms and networks, right? Uh, with that, uh, I, I had a startup uh, called FIDE, uh, started in, in 2016, late 2016, 2017, uh, that was specialized in providing zero t- trust access to applications that might be on-prem or in, in the public cloud or now to date brought into SaaS applications that got acquired by Barracuda. And I've been at Barracuda as of last Friday, two years exactly after the acquisition. Oh, wow. Well, congratulations on your two-year anniversary. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So I think you know, you're the perfect person to uh, talk to us about this topic. So let's just jump right into it. Um, what would you say are some of the most common security mistakes that um, independent software vendors, software developers make when developing mm-hmm. software? Right. I'll put some historical context there. As I said, I started in the early, late, to, late 90s, but to early 2000s. Uh, the main uh, challenge, I remember vividly because this was, uh, you know, there was mailing was called bug track and you will get about memory corruption vulnerabilities day after day in and day out. That was really the main challenge, the main uh, weakness and vulnerability for any software developer was uh, memory corruption issues, you know, memory management uh, problems. This is early 2000s. So why I'm giving that as an example uh, is so dated, right? We don't we don't hear about memory corruption bugs, uh, memory corruption challenges anymore as the main uh, vulnerability tackle because uh, we build better platform defenses. And, you know, these things are called, uh, you know, ASLR, uh, which is like the randomization of address space. Uh, we built, you know, very, very sophisticated defenses like uh, code flow graphs, so software can don't do, can't do random jumps because of a memory corruption into different parts of the, uh, you know, of the of the code. 
uh, and so these uh, become part of the platforms, but also uh, we started leveraging more memory safe managed languages like Go and Python and all these other all these other languages that are memory safe, they're managed, uh, you know, uh, therefore we build a lot of, we gain a lot of these defenses. So what I'm trying to get at is that security challenges have evolved from, uh, you know, vulnerabilities in memory management and, and you know, uh, leading to memory corruption uh, because uh, the uh, because of the platforms and the, and the languages that built in defenses, basically they eradicated these entire attack surfaces in one go, right? So now today we see a lot more challenges around uh, application logic. So, you know, essentially you can refer to as logic bugs, right? Uh, which are very common and application specific. Uh, they might be about broken or badly implemented access controls, uh, you know, or you might be triggering a weird unaccounted state in an application-specific state machine. So they're all unique to applications. They come uh, as a side effect of complexity. You know, you add more features, you have more API endpoints. So there's more and more of this uh, attack surface broadening that is specific to the application. So tooling, whether that's provided by a platform or whether provided by a managed language to eradicate a certain class of bugs, is not going to apply to logic bugs because they're specific to your, you know, state machine, to your application. So I see a lot of that and it's very much uh, a growing concern, uh, even for us at Veracuda when we're developing our applications and, and, you know, we can talk about how to tackle those challenges. But one other thing I'll add, the second most critical thing I see out there besides logic bugs or, or loose broken access control is of course our dependency to third-party components, right? Uh, that's, that could be open source, there is still a lot of closed source third-party components, libraries uh, out there as well. Let's not forget about those. Everybody talks about open source every day, but you know we rely on a lot of uh, third-party libraries, uh, whether to unpack a RAR file or to display a certain image uh, format. They could also be closed source. So the versioning of those, they might be outdated. There might be existing CVs. There might be existing vulnerabilities for those packages. So keeping it, you know, an inventory of them and keeping them up to date, I see as another major challenge for anybody developing software out there. There's a long tail of other issues, but I will single out those two. Okay, so we have the, um, we're calling the, the logical bugs. Yes. And the, um, the dependence on third-party libraries, whether they're open source or closed loop. And mm -hmm. um, is there a common, like, uh, why behind these in terms of, like, um, why software developers are, you know, making you know, mistakes in these areas? Is there a common thread? Yeah, I wouldn't single out software developers as making the mistakes per se, because there's a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, demand from them to rush products and features to market, okay. right? Yeah. Anybody who works in, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a two-week sprint, uh, they, they, they know the burden of shipping something, getting it tested, writing unit tests. So it is, it is a demanding job. It is a hard job. Uh, and 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 the, and the speed that the industry is is working, you know, you can't call it breakneck speed, right? It's just so much, uh, uh, you know, work and depend and we we're dependent on these developers to ship things out the door. Uh, so, you know, they might have great uh, code review. Every PI might be reviewed by their peers. They might have all the processes and procedures in place. Uh, however, these logical bugs are still very tough to, uh, you know, find. Um, because it requires a lot of time. It requires a lot of manual review. It requires a lot of offensive testing. Uh, therefore, 
you know, it kind of rounds counter to the ship to market, get to market fast dynamic versus trying to find these very complex, sometimes deeply rooted logical bugs uh, that might take an attacker, you know, um, uh, a, a long time. They might spend a month or two kind of messing around with your application, trying to find weaknesses while you're still at this breakneck speed of getting features to market, right? So, you know, you have a disadvantage as a developer while you have to, you know, deliver, you have to ship things uh, while the, the application is getting more complex. So these logical bugs are getting buried deeper and deeper down. It's become harder to root them out and, and find them. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, the, the speed at which um, uh, de developers have to, you know, get products and updates out to market. Um, sometimes, you know, something has to give. And unfortunately, that could be uh, security in some instances. So um, like you mentioned, like, you know, getting to these, <clears throat> these, uh, uh, these bugs is, is a, it sounds like a lengthy process, and it, it requires kind of, you know, slowing down and being methodical. Is there, is there any way to, um, for developers to more quickly uh, identify these bugs and to to fix those? I would say manual review, and I would also say uh, taking an offensive approach to testing, right? Uh, you know, we have functional testing, we have automated testing, we have manual testing as part of the QA, uh, you know, uh, workflows. Uh, but let's add uh, a, a, an offensive uh, testing methodology. What I mean by that is, you know, think like an attacker, think like a hacker, uh, and, you know, there should be some responsibility or there should be some in-house exp expertise. On top of enough expertise, I would say also you could hire outside pen testing teams to continuously review and test the security of your applications. I know it's a costly proposition, but, you know, uh, there's the bug bounty programs. That's another way to kind of tackle the same problem. But ideally, before you even get to bug bounty programs, you should be able to uh, attack your own uh, software and and you know try to find out as many of these logical bugs as you can. Uh, you know I would say of taking an offensive approach towards what you develop, but in house uh, is, is is a healthy is a healthy measure. Gotcha. So what are some of the primary ways that cyber criminals uh, exploit these software vulnerabilities? Are there any examples or anecdotes you can share? Yeah, one of my favorites. It's not, I would say, uh, all that fresh. Uh, maybe it's a bit dated, but I still like it tremendously uh, because it was uh, actually a third-party component that was shipped with a lot of software, even even you know web-based web application software uh, running at scale. It was a third-party component. Uh, if you track it separately, it had a lot of CVs, a lot of memory corruption issues. It's my personal favorite because I think the CV count was over 100 at some point. But then I found out that this SDK, uh, which basically does takes a, a format, like a, a, a file format, whether it's a PDF or, or an Excel or, or a, you know, DocX, whatever it is, right? Some sort of a file format, and then it turns it to HTML, it turns it to text, right? Take it out in the format, spit out text. Turns out, for example, when you search on Google, when you search on, you know, Bing or whatever, search engines, uh, when they have this, uh, view as HTML link on a on a file. Yeah. Apparently, it's been piped through this SDK. So now, in the in out there at scale, even at Google scale, there's this third party component with hundreds of CV entries that they use at scale to spit out text, so that you don't have to download a PDF file, so that you don't have to download a doc file and open it with Office. You can just still remain in the browser. What's the logic? Because the 
you know, the, the platform wants to keep you within their real estate. They right. don't want you to go away and navigate to another application, sure. right? Or another tab. So using this SDK kind of made me think that this one attack vector can actually have massive implication across the board, just targeting one uh, closed source third party components. But this is an example I like to, I like to mention a lot because uh, I always thought it's an eye opener, right? Even, even the best uh, companies uh, that have a lot of decent security uh, you know, practices and postures and, and processes in place rely on third parties they don't fully control, and that might be the weak link. Sure. Right. So, that, I mean, yeah, that, that kind of um, speaks to the point, kind of ties in with what you talked about earlier, one of the primary uh, challenges. So not only your own software, you have to do that due diligence to uh, check for those bugs, but then, you know, we're, you know, developers are often relying on third-party software that they're bringing in to create their larger solutions. And rather than building everything from scratch, it's a lot quicker to be able to create a solution by, um, you know, pulling in those components that, that already perform some aspect of that um, functionality you're looking for, right? But so I guess you have to, so, so is the process different? So w how does that work then when you're testing someone else's software versus your own? I guess you, you don't have as much, maybe as deep of access to the um, source that you might with your own, right? I mean, it's a major challenge, especially with open source software, you rely on the community, right? So if you go to some of these uh, GitHub pages for these open source components, you could see the focus around testing. They might implement some SAS, that static or, or dynamic testing for these components. Uh, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, larger companies that actually uh, reward people that find weaknesses and vulnerabilities in open source components, not even just their products, but also, you know, the open source that they rely on. So, so there's, you know, incentives in place for folks to find more vulnerabilities in open source, but it's still tricky, right? It, it, if you're inheriting that, you really don't have the time to, uh, to audit that piece of, uh, you know, third party components. So you're relying on community, uh, you're relying on being up to date. Uh, it's not the perfect answer, unfortunately. It's something that's still evolving. Um, you know, we're, we're hearing um, a lot more, um, let's say, community-driven approach, non-profit-driven uh, approaches. So, for example, you know, uh, you could have uh, funds allocated uh, to, for professional pen testers to link into open source components where all the companies, all the ISVs contributed to that non-profit to, to make that, you know, scalable and, and, and operate, uh, you know, for the entire life cycle of that particular open source project. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so not all open source is created the same. I mean, some uh, is better. Uh, yeah, I mean, why we have some government institutions solving certain problems for us, right? Because not not every private sector solution applies. So I, I'm starting to see parallels uh, in open source and, and, you know, some sort of uh, public sector approach to securing uh, open source might make the most sense where we all contribute. Okay, gotcha. So um, what are some additional, I guess, practical steps that, you know, ISVs or software developers can take to, you know, make their products more secure? I mean, they need a process, right? It is not a one-time thing. Uh, it's a process, you know, it's DLC, uh, the, the, the development of the entire life cycle of, of uh, software and code. Uh, you need to implement that process. So that couple, you know, obvious sound bites, you can uh, implement uh, what's referred to aesthetic analysis uh, for software testing, dynamic analysis for software testing. Uh, you can think of them as, you know, uh, code level audits or, or fuzzing dynamic uh, audits. 
Uh, you can actually start your journey with an AppSec orchestration tool. These, these things do exist now. There's one particular product I really like. Uh, it's called Conducto with a K. Conducto with a K. Uh, what they do is basically they can use any of these open source SAS and DAS tooling uh, to give you kind of a jump start for your STLC journey, right? You can take that as a template. You can say, okay, here is the open source SAS tooling that I'm going to use, DAS tooling, the fuzzers that I'm going to use, and I'm going to orchestrate all of these using this orchestration tool. You know, in, in my case, I use Conducto, uh, and then that could help you jumpstart that journey. But when we talked about logical bugs, when we talked about the complexity of, of the software that you're building, you need to, of course, uh, review uh, the code, uh, again, implement an offensive uh, process. But these are all, again, before you ship, right? These are all in the in the development uh, cycle. Once you ship in production, uh, I will also, you know, mention API gateways. Uh, API security uh, gateways can also be very, very relevant. Uh, you know, Bar Barracuda uh, ships one of these solutions that we deploy in front of our, our own uh, own solution. So, you know, these are all the things that you can do as part of the development phase. But once you ship to production, you can also put a an API gateway in front of them to at least tackle some of these uh, attack vectors that are quite well known and quite common in the wild. Okay, gotcha. So, um, so the, the first tip you mentioned was the uh, conducto. Is that the uh, with a K? Yes, that's right. Okay. Yes. And then, uh, so after you've created your product, the uh, API security gateway, and you mentioned so Barracuda is using that. Is there a particular company you use for that? Yeah, uh, Barracuda uses Barracuda. Oh, so you have your have, own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have our own API API security solution. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fantastic. Uh, it, it, that's that's right, and, and it's it has a, a very very long history. I was I was dating myself talking about twenty plus years ago, but this this expertise, this Tim has expertise, also going back uh, to all the way to you know early days of web application to the coming you know to to, to today. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And so even though you have your own gateway, so other software com companies could potentially even use your uh, API yeah. security gateway. It isn't only an internal. Uh, For sure, product. yes, okay. uh, it, it is a product accessible under the AppSec portfolio at, at Barracuda. Okay, gotcha. So it's a production, uh, you know, level uh, solution. But you know, of course, you have to tackle everything before you ship. Once you ship, of course, you know, uh, because of the complexity, uh, you you're never going to have hundred percent efficacy when it comes to you know coverage for vulnerabilities and and, and logical bugs. So an API. Uh, Security solution uh, fits fits right in uh, for anything once you once you ship. Gotcha. And so you know, I know when we talk about like you know network security and um, you know certain standards come to mind. You know, like, like someone might go like look at the NIST framework or uh, you know CSI. How about for you know w within application development? I mean, there, there's a lot of different ways to go about developing software. Is there a particular standard that you think is helpful for like a startup, especially uh, that, that could kind of help them to, you know, develop, you know, good processes from the get go and rather than having to learn some of these things the hard way. Right. I mean, OS top 10 comes to mind. If you're just starting the journey, you know, I mentioned like you can build a STLC process in house to manage, you know, the, the whole life cycle of, of, of the code that you're developing. Uh, and, you know, I mentioned uh, or AppSec orchestration tools can be helpful for that. Uh, I think that OS Top 10 could be very helpful, uh, uh, you know, to, to give you a start, right? Like, okay, these are the top 10 things. Every year they're updated. There's a large group of body of people behind it that are prioritizing these issues. Let me take that as and then look into those uh, 
as my priorities as the vulnerabilities to just kind of you know focus on and and, and hopefully eradicate from my code base before I ship uh, before I ship to production. Gotcha. Great. So, any additional tips in terms of um, you know security measures that uh, software companies should be thinking about either while they're developing their software or after it's already shipped to um, you know keep up with security or to make it secure after the fact? Yeah, I mean, again, uh, I go back to this because I think uh, because of the unique nature of these applications, uh, pen testing, penetration testing these applications continuously, I think is still the most, I would say, from my point, is the most intellectually honest recommendation I can give, right? You need to continue to test. You cannot have a, a, a automated tool, a SaaS DAS tool, finding, you know, having perfect coverage. It's not, it's, it's, uh, it's, not an, it's not an accurate state when they want because these are custom applications. All these logical bugs are going to be found by a human, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, there might be some automation around it, but I still do genuinely believe that uh, having an offensive uh, approach towards your applications, whether in-house pen testing, hiring a third-party application pen testing, uh, you know, um, consultancy, uh, there are so many small boutique ones that are great at it. You know, it doesn't have to be a, a big name, um, you know, but also at the same time, you can use uh, community uh, based, uh, you know, whether that's also the bug bounty programs and other approaches to invite your applications to be pen tested. Uh, of course, there's, you know, uh, if you're doing, I don't know, still, um, you know, C, C++ kind of low level projects, fuzzing works very well uh, with those. There's so many uh, open source fuzzing tooling. I recommend anybody to ship uh, their product after going through fuzz testing. Uh, that is, I think, the force multiplier, especially if you are uh, doing a lot of low level, you know, using low level languages for, for programming certain parts of your uh, software. Uh, and finally, I would say, you know, there's a lot of momentum behind software bill of materials, essentially getting to know your third party components and making sure that you're up to date, you're following uh, you know, uh, the, the CVs, the known vulnerabilities, and at least making sure that you are up to date uh, with, those, uh, with those issues on your components. Well, hey, I really appreciate uh, your time and insights uh, today. I think this has you know, um, uh, been really uh, informative for me, and I, I believe our audience as well. It, I'll just leave you with the last word. Any you know, closing thoughts, anything you wanted to um, either uh, kind of close with, either to reiterate or anything we haven't talked about you think would be good for software developers to keep in mind going forward? Yeah, uh, I, I actually think uh, software security is about investing into, uh, you know, it's a, it's a human capital problem, really. Uh, you, you have to invest into um, expertise and building team or, you know, building in-house capabilities, right? Uh, you know, your, your developers can take training uh, or you can, they can specialize, right? Uh, QA doesn't have to be just, you know, functional or manual testing, but these folks can also be uh, educated and, and bring up to speed with offensive methodology. So what all I'm trying to say as a closing remark, invest in your own existing team uh, to have them a, a bit of a more of an offensive view when it comes to testing software. Invest in your people uh, to get them to that level. Excellent. Well, Sanan, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it and I look forward to having you back on the podcast again soon. Thank you, Jay. This was wonderful. Thanks to our listeners for joining us. As a reminder, DevPro Journal is an online publication built to assist B2B software developers in growing profitable, sustainable, and fulfilling businesses. 
To read more information on this topic and many others, visit devprojournal.com. Finally, I'd like to thank today's sponsors, Datacap Systems and Zebra Technologies.